Hello, and welcome back to our series looking at the steadfast love of God. Uh, this week, we're going to be in Hosea chapter 10 and 12. So why don't you get your Bibles out and we'll read the Bible. So Hosea chapter 10 says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what can he do for us? They utter mere words. With empty oaths, they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of beth Avon. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over and over its glory for it's departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars and they shall say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills fall on us. For the days of Geber you have sinned, O Israel, there you have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Geber? When I please, I will discipline them, and the nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But when I put Ephraim to the yoke, Judah must plough, Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have ploughed iniquity, and you have reaped injustice, and you have eaten the fruits of your lies, because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore the tumult of war will arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed, as Shalman destroyed Barabel on the day of, on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Chapter 12. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his, and sought his favour. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, of his the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for God. A merchant is in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, ah, I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labours they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. 
I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feasts. I spoke to the prophets, to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilad, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are also like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to Aram. There Israel served for a wife and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim was given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. This is the word of God. So what we see here is that Hosea is really calling out the people of Israel for being an unjust nation. Essentially, they have become a nation that is looking to serve themselves and no longer the people of God. And we see that they are unjust um, by these few verses. So uh, just chapter 10, verse 1, right out of the start, it says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more its fruit increased, the more altars he built. And his country, and as his country improved, he improved his pillars, showing that the people of Israel, the more wealthy they got, the more idols that they built. That there's a direct correlation there. The more money they had, the more idolatrous they were. 10 verse 13. They've ploughed iniquity and they've reaped injustice and they've eaten the fruits of their lies. It shows that they were a people who essentially were doing injustice, that they were pursuing that. And as a result, that is what they reaped. 12 verse 7 to 8 says, They are a merchant who's in false balances lie and uh, he loves to oppress, essentially showing that they are a people who, uh, because of their wealth, are now oppressing those who are vulnerable. What Hosea is doing, he's showing them that you, the people of God have become an unjust nation, that they have moved away from the call on God's life for them, that God had called them to be a people who strove for justice, who strove for righteousness, because that was to show the glory of God. And the way that Hosea does that really is by leaning into uh, vocabulary, stories and thoughts that would be really familiar with the people of Israel. You know, the first one is he uses vocabulary um, in the middle of chapter 10. So 10 verse 12, it says, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. What Hosea is doing here, he is reminding the people of Israel that that is what God said to Abraham in Genesis 18 verse 19, that is that uh, Abraham and his family would be people of righteousness and justice. Hosea is saying, that's where you should be. He's then also showing them uh, in chapter 12 when he looks at the story of Jacob where Jacob grabs Esau's heel. He's saying, don't be like that because what Jacob did was that he grabs his brother's heel. He essentially tripped his brother up for his own good to get his own inheritance. And we know how that story goes. But what Hosea also does is throughout the two passages, he's showing that Israel have become a people who were just gaining for themselves and not for those around them. They become a, a nation of injustice. This passage helps us understand uh, what injustice is. And it helps us look particularly at the idea of institutional injustice. And so what is institutional injustice? 
Institutional injustice is where society is set up in a way that is weighted to the benefit of those in power and then oppressing those who are not in power. And that's what we see here, is that the more wealthy the people got, the more power they gained and the more that they oppressed those around them. Hosea is saying to the people, you cannot be like this. This is not the people God has called you to be. God has called you to be a people of righteousness, a people of love, a people of care, and a people who, who look out for those around them and the community that they're in. And I want us today to know that you and I are called to be a nation uh, who is uh, like Israel in terms of being a light to those around us, that we are to pursue justice wherever we go. You know, when we look at the world around us, it is full of injustices. Even as I say that, you will know of injustices that come to your mind. God wants to see those injustices pushed back by us, by the power of his spirit in us. But we need to be a people who pursue justice and pursue righteousness. Let's quickly look at what biblical justice is. And uh, we're going to look at three areas of biblical justice. And uh, we see that in this passage, um, Hosea particularly makes his point by showing Israel how they have fallen short of each of these areas. So biblical justice, firstly, is generosity. Essentially, the idea that the wealth that I have is not my own and it should be stewarded to help the benefit of the community and the people around us because we know that uh, the wealth that we have is not our own. It is given to us by God and we simply steward it. But um, here we see that Israel has become a nation who is not generous, that simply cares for itself. Chapter 10 verse one is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruits. The more its fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Again, the more they had, the less they were generous for the people, but the more they gave into the institution of idols and false worship. We then see the second element of biblical justice, and that is equality. So you and I uh, know that all human beings are made in the image of God and that um, as a result of all of us being created in the image of God, we are called to treat every single person with dignity, with love, and respect. But what we see here is that Israel does the exact opposite. 12 verse 7, it says, a merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. We know that oppression only comes by looking at people as less than we are. And here it shows that in some ways it's linked to the first one, that because the people gain more wealth for themselves, they then do not treat people as equals and thus oppress them. The last element of biblical justice is the idea of advocacy. And it very much is linked exactly to um, the idea of equality. But what advocacy is, is that uh, we are people who are concerned for the poor and those who are marginalized. And what we can see uh, throughout the, the two verses that I've, I've really picked out is that Israel are more concerned with power and wealth and idols and false worship rather than the people on the margins. You know, even that, you know, that verse, chapter seven, that, you know, it says, I'm rich and I found wealth for myself. 
essentially saying it's I care for myself and only myself and not the people around me. So we see that biblical justice is about generosity, equality and advocacy. And we see that Israel have fallen short because they have taken their eyes off God. I think it's really important that we understand what biblical justice is and how it's different to secular justice. Because you see, uh, biblical justice is rooted in the unchanging character of God. The God that we follow, uh, justice is close to his heart and it mirrors his heart in the world. But secular justice changes with culture and time. So we want to be people who centre ourselves around biblical justice. And so what we then see is that the idea of biblical justice is there's something that should be central to our lives. It should be something that it is not just something that we opt into or opt out of, but it should be a part of the way that we live our Christian faith. It should be a key marker in our faith. And I just want to look at one particular way that we are really similar to Israel here. And I think the way that most of us, not all, but most of us are similar to the nation of Israel is around the idea of affluence. So again, verse one, that Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruits. The more its fruit increased, the more altars it built. And as its country improved, he improved this pillars. The idea of affluence, of basically accumulating wealth for yourself and not for, and, and for it to not serve anyone else around us. God has a lot to say on this issue of affluence. You know, not only does, uh, does Leviticus and Deuteronomy talk about how uh, the people of God should not be chasing affluence, but, sh- but again, should be a generous people who leave some of their crops in the fields for people to, for the workers to reap for themselves. We see that uh, God is calling us to be a generous people, to, to be people who don't accumulate weight for yourselves. And we see that in the New Testament when Jesus, uh, he talks about, you cannot serve God and both money. Uh, or in some translations, says you cannot serve both God and mammon, who is uh, the God of, of money and provision. And the reason God says that to us is because God knows how powerful money is in our society. He knows that it can quickly have a grip on us, even though we can try, um, even though we might think we're above it. But I want us to know today, to take seriously, how are we stewarding our wealth? How are we stewarding what we have? because uh, none of us are above, uh, above money having a hold of us. You know, even though we can sometimes try our best, if we aren't guarding our hearts and keeping our eyes fully fixed on Jesus and his generosity, we can miss how, uh, we can miss the hold that money has. And, and I just wanna share a story from my own life as to how I've seen this happen. And so I would say that um, Emma and I, uh, we we try to be uh, we try to be generous to the best of our ability, and uh, I think it's a conversation that Emma and I often have. You know, Emma, how are we um, using our money? But a moment where I realised that money had started to take a hold of my values and my um, and, and maybe the actions and how generous I was was one day when uh, we had a friend who uh, had just in passing said to Emma that they had a need. And Emma came home and said, oh, 
texts, I really feel like God is saying that we should, we should give this person some money. And so I said, okay, great, let's do that. Um, so I said, Emma, I'll sort it out. Um, I've got their bank details. Um, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I'll take it out of the savings account. Um, and we, you know, we'd seen the savings account grow um, just every month, a little bit going in and the number getting a little bit bigger. And so I said, I'll, I'll do that. I'll sort it out. But what I realized was as I was about to take the money out, there was a sudden uh, emotion that crept up that I, I had no idea that was there, was essentially the fact that, oh, actually, oh, I don't think I want to do this again because this savings account, um, the money, the, the numbers dropped and I, and I don't like that. And essentially what I felt God say to me in the moment is, Tex, you are, you are trying to serve both money and, and me. I felt God say, can you not see that even though um, you thought you didn't have an issue with it, when you start paying a lot of attention to it and having that uh, as part of your focus, that, that it actually had, has gripped you a little bit, that, has a, that it has hardened your heart. And I was just so struck because essentially I thought, oh no, God, I love you, um, but I really kind of wanna, I wanna save this money because, uh, because it's a good thing to do. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I do think saving your money is wise, but I think not to the extent where we are a people who are not generous with what we have. But it was kind of, uh, I, I was trying to do what Jesus said I couldn't do, you know, uh, serve both God and money. And I just felt God say, Tex, keep your eyes on me and you'll be able to be generous. But I realized in that moment that money can have a quick grip on us, even quicker than we think. And we see, and I think we are just like Israel. That's essentially what Israel had, is that they accumulated wealth, and then as a result, it shaped their thoughts, their actions, and their words. They ended up being a nation who, from the start of their wealth, it started to put everything else out of proportion in their lives. But Hosea shows us the solution to be a people who pursue justice. And what does he do? He puts it right in the middle of both of the passages. So Hosea 10 verse 12, it says, For it's time to seek the Lord. And in chapter 12, it's uh, 12 verse uh, verse six, it says, and continually wait for your God. Hosea is showing us that in all, the first step for any of us to be able to pursue righteousness and justice, we need to be people who seek God and who come to him first and foremost. That, he, that God is not the second place that we go to. We don't go God out of default because we've tried everything else. We go to God first and foremost, because when we keep our eyes on God and we have him as the sole worship of our lives, that we don't worship a house, that we don't worship a holiday, uh, or we don't worship a savings account, we see that our actions, our thoughts, and our words are shaped by God, not those other things. First step is come before God. We've got to come before God, let him shape us. And you know, maybe even as you read this, you're maybe feeling a little bit like, oh gosh, text, maybe I, uh, that's where I'm at, that maybe I'm pursuing wealth or affluence, not Jesus. We read here of the steadfast love of God, 
that when we come to him, there is grace and there's forgiveness and we can, we can come repentant and he will shape us to become more like him. But we look at, we look at God and, and, and where do we see that? We see that throughout scripture, particularly in the New Testament, the life of Jesus, Jesus who mirrors God. We see that Jesus, he lives a life of self-sacrifice. That is how he pursues righteousness and justice. He comes born into a poor home, into the lowest class of society. He hangs out with people who are on the, on the margins, who people would push away. And ultimately he leaves his glory in order to bring justice into the world. And then he justifies us. Jesus is our greatest example of how we can live. Do you know, that is something I really love about the Christian faith, is the fact that the person that we follow is not a leader up on a high castle telling us, oh yeah, go and do this, go and do this, and has no idea what it's like to be a human being. But we follow a God who, who has become just like us and has experienced life just like us and has shown us it is possible to live a life uh, that pursues righteousness and justice. And yes, we will not live a life like Jesus because he was perfect, he's God. But he shows us that in our moments of temptation, we can go to God for our providence. We can go to God to help us to be the one who, who helps us pursue righteousness and justice. Jesus is our greatest example and we need to seek God. So how can we apply this um, a little bit? So like I said, the first step is come before God. We need to do that on a daily basis. Every morning is the first thing that you're doing. Uh, is it looking at social media uh, or is it looking at the word of God that would shape us? Come before God, he wants to speak to us. But then uh, the, the second thing that I think we can do is we need to live it out. Uh, we can't just be people of actions. I mean, we can't just be people of words. We need actions. Uh, and verse four, uh, basically uh, chapter 10 verse 4 just shows us what that we can't be people of just words. It says they utter mere words with empty oaths and then make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. What we see here is that God is calling you and I to be people who act not just know that essentially our faith is something that intrinsically, uh, when it touches our heads and our heart, it must touch our actions. And you know, we, we get well annoyed with politicians, don't we, when, when they say they're gonna do something, but they end up not doing it. You know, we, we, we can see how that frustrates us, but we don't wanna be uh, like the world who, who makes empty promises, who just has empty words. We wanna be people who act. And so how do we act? I think one John, 3 verse 16 to 18 helps us understand this. It says, how do we know what love is? Is that Christ laid his life down for us. So we ought to lay our lives down for one another. If we have material possessions and see someone in need and we don't give to them, how can we say the love of God is in us? Essentially, those, uh, those verses encapsulate what it means to strive for justice, is to look to God, but then is to act, is to say, I'm going to be a generous person. So I think the first way uh, that we can be 
uh, people who act is have a think about where are you using your money in terms of generosity? What does that look like for you? Is God calling you to be more generous with it in whatever shape or form that might look like? And then just in terms of the equality and advocacy, you know, one of the things that I love about Kings is that it has a, a great justice project called the Jericho Road Project. And they do phenomenal work with people who are on the margins and people who are less fortunate than us. Um, and I absolutely love the work that they do. But I know sometimes what can happen is that when we see such a great project, we can almost opt out, can't we? We can say, oh no, it's being done. And so that's not my call. Like that's not for me to do. But actually what God is calling all of us to do, that every single one of us need to be concerned for the poor and the marginalized. It's not an option. It's not for some people to be called to and some people not to. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus means that we are called to bring justice and hope into the world. We need to strive for righteousness and bring uh, and reap God's steadfast love. That's the type of people we need to be. So can I encourage you uh, to prayerfully reflect on what it means to to care for the least of these, to care for those who are marginalised, to put yourself in spaces that you wouldn't normally, to put yourself in spaces with people who are not like you. I want to leave us with Micah 6 verse 8, because I feel like it helps us uh, to, to know what it means to follow God. It says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So really to sum up, what do I want us to know today? I don't want you to leave here feeling like you've got to try harder, do more. What I want you to do is go to God, surrender yourself to him and let him shape you and use you to bring his kingdom. That there's no, there's no pressure on you but I know that when you go to God and you have your eyes set on him, he will change your priorities, he will change your values so that they align with his kingdom, that, so that we can be a people who pursue justice and righteousness. I'm gonna pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that Jesus is our great example of what it means to follow you. I do pray that you would help each and every one of us to be a people who pursue justice and pursue righteousness. God, I pray that we would be willing to let go of the things in the world that are taking our attention from you and that we would be solely and wholeheartedly devoted to you. God, I wanna thank you that your steadfast love is what sustains us and it is you that keeps us going. So God, I pray would you help us to be a light in the city of London and beyond for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.